Tom, I'm glad you made that mistake this morning because it just fits perfect with what I want to talk about. <laughs> but uh, so it is, it is Father's Day today and I'm excited to uh, be able to bring a message uh, this morning. Um, Wednesday afternoon, or Wednesday, I guess, Pastor Jerry went to get the results from his MRI, and uh, Jackie called me later in that afternoon. She said, have you talked to Pastor Jerry yet? I said, no, not yet. She said, well, he's having surgery on Friday, and he would like you to be on standby for Sunday. I said, oh, I said, okay, that's fine. She said, and uh, oh, also, it's Father's Day Sunday, and I thought, well, great. (laughs) So... uh, so I, was, I kind of started to put some thoughts together, and I talked to Pastor Jerry, and he said, you know what, I, and, and you guys know the heart of our pastor, it's to be here with us, and to, he, he loves to preach, and the Lord's gifted him, and he said, I, I really think I can do it. And I said, well, you're having surgery on your knee. He said, I think if I got a stool up there, I'd be okay. <laughs> so um, I, said, I said, well, okay, I said, I'll be ready, and so then... Uh, Friday afternoon after his surgery, I get a text from him, and he said, I've been thinking this through. <laughs> so we do appreciate your heart, Pastor, and, uh, but I am excited to be uh, here this morning and do want to uh, talk about fathers and uh, acknowledge the fathers this morning and um, hopefully, Lord willing, encourage you as well. Because there's no doubt that the father plays an extremely role in our society, but also, more importantly, in our families. According to the National Center for Fathering, children being raised without a father in the home are more likely to be living in poverty, abuse drugs and alcohol, and exhibit emotional and behavioral problems. And of course, you know, you hear statistics on things like that all the time. That's not not any new information for you. Uh, So while I do want to speak to the fathers, I think that the, the, I know that the truths from the word here are applicable to all of us. And so... Um, I'd like to do a couple of things this morning. I'd like to give uh, a warning, first of all, um, about I I think what I would call a prevailing cultural norm that we need to be careful we don't apply to our families, but then also to give us two ways in which um, as fathers we can be better fathers to our children. If you're a mother here this morning, you'd be a mother to your children, or if you're just a follower of Christ, a way to be a better follower of Christ. So as we, uh, as we get ready to do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we um, again just acknowledge you as um, a good and gracious and perfect Heavenly Father. And we thank you for the example you give us in your word, uh, for the uh, way that you're involved in our lives every day. And as we look into your word this morning, I ask, Lord, that you be the teacher and you would show us what you have for us this morning and that we would apply it to our lives as we uh, leave this gathering this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I guess this cultural norm that uh, concerns me is that I believe we live in an extremely performance-based society. I think that we, we as a culture, re- reward those who perform, and if someone doesn't perform or they can't produce, then they have less value. I mean, we can see this in, uh, in, in, our, in the spo- sports culture. And we had, uh, during the finals, we had like four or five guys that somehow showed up every night at our house when uh, there was a game on. And they all wanted to watch LeBron or Kyrie or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. You know, they're there because they want to see 
a performance. Like they want to see the best of the best do what they do best and do things that, you know, us as mere mortals, right, could, could never, we can only do in our imagination. Uh, you know, you want your sports team to win. You don't want to cheer for a losing team. Uh, think about for those of you who, who have investments or a retirement plan, right? You've got your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds. What do you do with an underperforming fund? Yeah, you get rid of it, right? Why, why keep that around? It's of no value to you. And then that does make good sense. <laughs> but think about, your, think about your workplace. You know, who gets the promotion? Who gets the accolades? Who gets the raise? It's who can perform. It's the, the person who produces the most value for the company. Think about, uh, we've got college students here this morning or, or high school students getting ready for college. Who gets the scholarships? Right? It's the best athletes, and it's the, the ones who do the best academically. There's no full-ride scholarship for the, the student they can find who's the most honest or has the best character. It's, it's not out there. So, as a, as a, as a culture, we're co the culture is continually presenting to us a message that you have to be the best, that you have to perform, that you had better get it right and um, that you have to impress, right? It's like, you know, we have to live, uh, live our lives like it's a continual Facebook highlight reel. You know what I'm saying? Like, what pictures do you post on Facebook? You, you put the, the good ones, right? You, you post uh, pictures when people are celebrating. Um, when was the last time you posted a picture of your last fight with your spouse? You know, it's like, no, we don't do that because we're going to put our best image forward. And it was ironic to me, and um, she didn't kick me during Sunday school, so I guess I can just share it again. But, you know, we, Sarah and I celebrated our anniversary this, this week, 19 years. And so she usually, um, or we, we'll take a picture, and then she posts it on Facebook, you know, anniversary picture, and I know many of you saw it because you commented on it. So later that night, while um, we're at home having a disagreement, our phones are dinging and pinging and buzzing. Oh, lovely couple, beautiful picture. <laughs> You two are great together, you know, and there we're, we're sitting there having a disagreement and all these like accolades are coming in and it's like, yeah, I'm sure it's never happened to you, right? But what, what happens when we, when we take this attitude of everything has to be okay, you've got to be the best, you can't get anything wrong and we apply it to our relationship with our spouse, or we apply that to our relationship with our kids. Um, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster, because we can't, you can't keep that up. It's not, it's not a reality. And um, you know, as well as I know, that when the, the people closest to you oftentimes see your worst side. It's like when you, you, you get home and you just like let down, okay? You, you pressed everybody all day, and so you get home and it's just like, okay, now I can just be myself. So, but the, we, we fool ourselves if we can, especially if we think that we can convince our kids, fathers, that, that everything's always okay, and that we've always got it together, and that everything's always all right. Because the Bible does not call us to get 
to, to live a perfect life. We are to strive for that, but the, God doesn't ask us to pretend like we have it all together, to put on a good appearance when people are looking. He calls us to love the Lord, to love one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to be faithful, to be gracious, uh, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. But nowhere does it say, you better have it all together and you better make sure that everyone thinks that you're doing well and you need to be the best and you gotta have the, the, the best family and accomplish the most and make the most money. So, we, I guess that's the cultural, the, the, the acceptable cultural norm that I want to warn us against not applying that to our family because God, when he, um, he sent Samuel to look for a king, of course, he got to, to David's family, and who did he start with? He started with the oldest, the strongest, the, the bravest, perhaps. And God said to him, no, 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 man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so this morning, as uh, it, it's Father's Day, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to leave my suit at home, all right? You know, we get, I remember being a kid being told, now look, you, I, I probably asked the question, why do we always have to get dressed up for church on Sunday? And, uh, and somebody said to me, and I don't know, I can't remember who it was, well, you've got to look your best for Jesus. And the, it, I mean, I promise you, Jesus saw you yesterday when you were in shorts, t-shirts, and flip-flops just as much as he's watching us today. So, uh, but anyways, I left my suit at home, and uh, I, I just want to um, just maybe talk candidly about two things as fathers that we can do that I think are just as helpful or perhaps probably more helpful to our kids than, than trying to get them to achieve and to accomplish and to perform and to um, have a better life than we did. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Psalm uh, chapter 106. And uh, this, is, uh, this is what they call a historical psalm. So the, the psalmist who wrote it is kind of looking back on the, on the history of the nation and uh, kind of summarizing some things. And from it, I think we can pull, um, you can pull a lot of truths, but tonight, or this morning, we're gonna pull two truths from it that I think um, help us to be better fathers uh, to our families. So um, we'll start in verse one. It says, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And that's a great truth right there. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can, uh, who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all of his praise? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Nobody can. You, you, cannot, you cannot praise the Lord enough. You can, we could not declare the, the wonderful and mighty deeds of the Lord. We could never list them all. And it's... It's when it, it, I think it's always good to kind of make sure we've got a good picture of who God is, who is the God that we serve. And he is one to be praised. He is one who has a, steadla, a steadfast love for us that endures forever. And it's a good thing because, um, and, and now we're just gonna start, we're, we're gonna just skip along through some different verses. And, and the psalmist goes on in verse six and says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. And this is in great contrast to our Heavenly Father, who says, where it says, his, his, who could utter all of his deeds? Who could declare all of his praise? We can't, but us earthly fathers, we hit a few bumps along the road sometimes. 
And we're going to look at a, a few of the bumps along the road that the Israelites had. In verse 7, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. And you remember that the people of Israel were in, capt- in captivity in Egypt, and the Lord did all these wondrous works for them. And, and took them out in the, in the night and delivered them from the Egyptians. And less than 24 hours later, they're complaining and saying, why did God do this? We're up against the sea and we're just going to die. And so they, you know, immediately they had forgotten the things that God had done for them. Verse, verse 13, again, it says, uh, and this is once they were in the, the desert, it says, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. And so they forgot the goodness of God to them, the things, the good things, the miracles that God had done in their lives, his provision, uh, his protection. They forgot what he had done for them. Uh, verse 16 says, when, the men, when men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed, up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And you remember, they complained. They thought, is Aaron really? Like, okay, we'll, we'll accept that Moses is our leader, but who said Aaron really is kind of co-leader with Moses? And they were jealous that he had the leadership position along with Moses. And we see that, that God swallowed up part of their company. Verse, uh, verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. And you're familiar with this story as well. They got to Mount Sinai. Moses went up onto the mountain to get the commandments from the Lord. And what did the people do? They said, why is he taking so long? Maybe we need to do something. And they, they made a golden calf. And, I, and this description of the golden calf in uh, in verse 20, um, it's, it's just amazing to me. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. You know, you remember the Sunday school stories? It was the golden calf, right? And the psalmist says, it's an ox that eats grass. Think about an ox just chewing the grass, swallowing it, spitting it back up, chewing it some more, swallowing it again. And they would, they would set aside worship of the creator of the world, the God who saved them, the God who took them out of slavery, the God who opened up the Red Sea for them, and just turn aside to a cow. Again, in verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They were forgetful. Verse 24 they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. This is when they, had, they crossed the wilderness. They arrived at the promised land. They sent the 12 spies to, to check out the land. And they came back with two reports. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but there's also giants and big walled fortified cities. And so they had no faith that God was going to do what he said. And they ended up wandering for 40 years. Verse 28, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Again, they, they turned from God and they worshiped these other gods, sacrificing their children, eating, um, eating sacrifices that were offered to the dead. They'd forgotten what God had done for them. And so you say, okay, Jeff, um, 
kind of thinking this was Father's Day and we'd have some sort of like encouraging message to share. And, and, and I think the, th- the thing that is to me the most encouraging about this psalm is not the list of failures that the, the Israelites uh, were able to accomplish. And I think if we look back, any one of us could look back at our lives and think, man, I could, I've got a few doozies, you know, and I could make a list of the things. But it's not, it's not what we have done, but it is what he has done, who God is. And if we turn to uh, jump towards the end of the chapter in verse 44, and this is God's response to the failures of the people of Israel. It says, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So you have the, the people of Israel in this, in this particular song, they recognized their, their sinfulness and they were confessing their sin. They said, these are the things that we've done, Lord. And, it, and the Lord said, um, or the psalmist says that the Lord remembered his covenant, covenant and he relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And so the first thing that I would um, suggest to us as fathers today is we've got to be able to admit when we're wrong. Right, and Tom did a great job. Tom, you, you are a great example to us this morning. <laughs> he came to me, he said, Jeff, I made a mistake, I've gotta make this right. And uh, so I appreciate that, Tom. But the, we are only fooling ourselves if we think that we can, um, that our kids don't know when we've messed up. That our kids are gonna think, oh, mom and dad, they've got it all together. Because our kids know us probably better than, than anybody. And they know when we've messed up, when we've made mistakes. So the question is, how are we going to respond? All right, we know how the Lord will respond out of the abundance of his steadfast love. But how do we, what example are we setting for our kids? First um, John 1, verses 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right, notice who is deceived. Yeah, we're deceived. Okay, we haven't fooled our kids. Our kids are smart. You, you know, a lot of us have younger kids. Sarah and I, we've still got two in the home. Many of you have kids that are, are long gone and the grandkids are here. Um, but we're not fooling the kids if we just put on this facade that everything's Okay. Uh, Verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the one who is unrelenting in his steadfast love. And so he calls us to confess our sins. And so I would suggest this morning that if we do that at times when appropriate in front of our kids or with our kids or say to them, hey, I really messed up on this, we are setting an example for them of how they are to relate to our Father in heaven. The one who, who uh, in his love, will never ever turn his back on us. I remember when, um, I remember when Nate was, was young, Nate's our oldest, when he was probably about, I don't know, maybe four years old or something like that. And I realized one day that I was his hero. Like I was the, the to him, the greatest thing in the world. And, um, you know, like you've got, 
you know, Batman and Spider-Man and, you know, Superman. And then I was like way up here, you know, dad. And for me, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't exactly a proud moment. Like I, I was, I mean, it warmed my heart that he thought highly of me. But for me, it was a humbling moment because I thought to myself, one day he's going to know that I can't do everything, that I don't always get it right, and that I'm not perfect. And of course, I didn't want to disappoint him, right? But I think the, most, the, the biggest maybe disappointment we could give to our kids, and maybe they'll even start to think mom and dad may be hypocrites, is to, is to try to fool them that we've never got anything wrong or never be willing to admit that we're wrong. So it's good for them, for us, as fathers, as parents, as believers, to model to those around us that it's okay. It's not okay to do wrong, but it's, it's, it's definitely okay to admit that you're wrong and then to um, seek forgiveness for it. And they will learn for, from us. So fathers, today, admit when you're wrong. And maybe you don't have a great relationship with, your, with, a, with a son or a daughter. Admitting where you've been wrong might go a long ways towards that. The second thing that I think that we pull from this psalm, and we haven't read it yet, but we will, is that we can pray for our children. And uh, this is, to me, this is a really um, a powerful few verses. We'll go back to verse 19 in Psalm 106. Again, go, going back to the golden calf, it says in verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They... They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Okay, now this, this, these, uh, this verse here, to me, is such a significant verse. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. This is, this is God. God said he would destroy the people. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. So God said, look, you remember the story. We're going to turn to it in just a second. God said, I am done with these people. I started over with Noah. I can do it again with you, Moses. I am going to destroy them all. And Moses stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath. So let's, let's go to Exodus chapter 32 and uh, just read a few of these verses. Because this is a significant um, account of one man making a difference in his prayers to the Lord. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit to verse, uh, verse 9. So again, Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. The people are down below worshiping the golden calf. And God said, uh, verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. He said, I am done with them. Step out of the way. But, but Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said... Moses implored the Lord. I don't think that was like, um, you know, sometimes how we, we pray, Lord, you know, if maybe you could. You know, he, was, he implored the Lord. He, he begged, he pleaded, he petitioned. He, I mean, from the, I'm sure from the core of his heart, 
He said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent, he did bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. That's his request. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So to me, this is like an amazing passage where one, like seriously, one, one, one man's prayers changed the, the, uh, the history of a nation. God wants to hear our prayer. He wants to hear our prayers for our family, for our children. In Thessalonians, it says we're to pray without ceasing. James says that a prayer, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In, uh, in Psalm chapter 34, verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The Lord's ears are, is turned toward us to listen for our cry to him. So as believers, as fathers, as parents, Hebrews 4, chapter 16, says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God calls us, he invites us to with confidence approach him with our, with our requests, with our prayers, with our petitions, with our concerns. And so as, as fathers, we need to be in prayer for our children. So what do we pray for them? And I mean, I look out and I just, I can see prayer warriors throughout the congregation, and I know that you, you do pray for your children. You pray for specific needs that you know about. Um, many of you uh, have, I've heard you say that you prayed for your son or your daughter's future spouse. And, um, and many of you probably are still doing that. You know, we've got lots of young ones here still. And those, I mean, great things to pray for. But one thing I would encourage you to, and, and I know a lot of you do, is to pray for the hearts of your children. Jesus said that the greatest thing we could do is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. I think one of the greatest things we can do is pray that our children will have a heart for the Lord, that our children would put God first in, our, in, in their lives, that they would love him above all other things. Because... Um, I, I firmly believe that when we put God first in our lives, so many other things fall into place, all right? It's not a perfect life. It's not without trials. It's not without hardship. But when, when God is first, so many other things are already taken care of. So as fathers, we want what's best for our kids. And the best thing we can have for our kids is that they're passionately love the Lord and put him first in their lives. So, you know, the things that we do are good things. You know, we, we sign them up for tutoring, right? We, we get them an extra sports clinic in the summer so that they're ready for the season in the fall. We sign them up for different clubs and activities. But as they get older, you know, we network for them so that we can get a good internship for them. We can get them a, a, a job. 
We give them advice on raising their kids. We, we give them a loan maybe for their first home. We, we do all that we can do to help them succeed. But I think maybe even greater than any of those things is to really be real with our kids. At times we really do have to admit that we're wrong and that we've been wrong and ask them for forgiveness or just show them that, hey, I've been wrong in this. I have dealt with this before the Lord. I just wanted to, to let you know because I know you saw this or I know you saw that. It goes a long way in your relationship with them. But also to pray for our kids to pray that their hearts would be turned towards the Lord, to pray that they would love the Lord above all else. Um, the, the Bible says that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And he will carry us through as we, as we are real with our kids, as we admit, admit our mistakes, as we, uh, as we go to the Lord on our knees for our children. I think those are some of the greatest things we can do. It's not, a, it's not the typical, I am going to push, I'm going to strive, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to make it happen for them, but it might be the more effective thing that we can do in the long run. So I do look out, and like I said, I see good fathers. I see fathers that pray for their kids. I see fathers that are a good examples of their kids, and, and keep up the good work. But be willing to admit when you're wrong, and be sure to be on your knees in prayer for your family, for your wives, for your kids. So I just want to wish all of you this morning a happy Father's Day. If you would, we're going to, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to honor the fathers that are here this morning. Heavenly Father, I just do thank you again for allowing us to be here. I really, truly am just humbled when I look out and see uh, so many good fathers here this morning who have been uh, good examples to their children, good examples to uh, their neighbors, good example to their kids, good examples to others here in the church, Lord. And I ask that as we, um, as we just come before you this morning, I pray that as, as a body here this morning, that we would commit to being real with each other, real with each other while we're here on Sunday mornings, real with our, our wives, real with our kids throughout the week, and that we would commit to pray for one another. Specifically, Lord, that we would pray for our children, we would pray for our dads, that we would um, be a people of prayer and that our hearts would be turned towards you. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being the perfect father to us uh, every day, for being a perfect example to us. Lord, may we put you first in all that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.